Hello, and welcome to another DBSA podcast. I'm Sarah Wendell from Smart Bitches Trashy Books, and with me is Jane Litt from Dear Author. Today we're going to talk a little bit more about the Dubois Tournament. We start by taking a look at the reader nominations while they were still in progress of be decided, and we talk about the Dubois Tournament itself and how it works. Then we answer a reader letter about erotic romance, polyamory, and triad romances. The music you're listening to is provided by Sassy Outwater. I'll have information at the end of the podcast about who this is and what they're playing and how you can buy it because the music she sends is really awesome, right? And now, on with the podcast. So for the Dubois this year, the Duchess War is way out ahead in the historical nominations. It's got more than twice the number of votes of any other book. So I have a feeling that, that one will be Milan's in. Milan's book? Yeah, that's the Courtney Milan book. Okay. But what about in the YANA? I think we don't reach out very well to that community. So I'm curious to know um, who's getting the most votes. It's interesting. Um, let's take a look here. Over... 116 votes are cast in that category alone. And the way that I have the form set up, you don't have to nominate a book in every category if you don't know. What I find interesting is that the book that's ahead right now is The Fault in Our Stars by John Green, which oh. is a great book. But not very romancy. Yeah, that's exactly my thought. I'm like, that's not a romance unless you like think Nicholas Sparks is romance. The next runner-up, and this is very close right now, is Insurgent, and the third is Grave Mercy. There are a lot of other books that are nominated that are not romances in the YA category, although I will tell you Flat Out Love is nominated. One of the books I wish I had put in was L.H. Causeway's Painted Faces, which was a really good book. And it was released late December. Maybe I will include it in next year's tournament if it doesn't make it this year. Mm-hmm. Um, it is such a innovative, kind of brave and different book, you know, because it features um, a cross-dressing hero who works in a burlesque show. Um, and even I, I, I belong on this alpha male um, listserv on Amazon, and even the women on that message board love this book. Wow. So, I mean, if you can reach people, right, because he's not super beta or super alpha. He's not really beta, but he's, you know, there's these two characters kind of define labels. So I just think that it's such, it's just a book I wish had had more attention because the writing is really good. And she's telling a, a really unique story. I don't see it nominated though. I don't see I know. It I, I, I know it's, a couple people said that they were thinking about nominating it, but I guess they didn't. Yeah. I'm going to put it in next year's D.A. Boaja. All right. Cool. It came out, the the ebook version came out like the 16th and the print version came out like a week later. And I think that falls within my last week of December. <laughs> um, Does that fall under the Lady Awakened rule? Yes. <laughs> Which I think we're going to have to change because, oh my gosh. People are so confused about that. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm one of them, but okay. I, hey, if you want to put it in next year's, I'm totally down with that. What's interesting to me is that in contemporary, The Trouble with Cowboys and About That Night by Julie James are like completely tied. They're, there's really, I have no idea who's going to win that one. And I wish I had put About That Night in my list because I feel like I completely blanked on that one. 
you know, I was really surprised because between you and dear author, she has a huge fan base. I know. But no one offered that book up. And so I thought, well, okay. Right. <laughs> then no one, you know, <laughs> that was I wasn't going to push part. it on everybody. But, you know, when I, when I send out emails saying, hey, what do you think? And no one comes back. And I'll be like, well, okay. <laughs> well, honestly, I try not to. That was create, my brain fart. I, I try not to make this Jane's tournament <laughs> a book. <laughs> I think a lot of people think that um, you and I have, like, total control over it, but oh, we no. don't. No, I mean, no, 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 not at all. There's a lot of input. And I remember in the first year, we reached out to a bunch of other bloggers. And we were like, we know nothing about this genre. Help us out. Yeah. We have a lot more people at DA reading YA. So I felt like, but in the past, we've always been like, we have no idea what's going on in this genre. If you can hear my dog barking in the background, he just wants to be part of the podcast. Either that or there's a squirrel. Sorry, people. The other thing that's interesting to me from the reader voting is um, paranormal science fiction fantasy. Blade Song has a ton of nominations, and I, I don't, I don't know what this book is. This is J.C. Daniels, who I believe is Shiloh Walker, right? They're the same person. Yeah, but she's campaigning pretty hard. I'm glad because that's exactly what we want. She's campaigning. Right? How did I miss Authors that? to get out there. That's exactly what we want. Yep, that's awesome. Well, I was, you know, that um, Sheryl Sandberg book is going around called Lean In. And yes. It was interesting because there was a lit chat going on on Twitter the other day. And Nick Ruffalo, who I don't always agree with, said something I thought was really interesting. And he said he thinks that so many women, when they pitch a book, are kind of self-deprecating about it. And men, authors that he's run into, have much more confidence about their book and much less self-effacing. Mm-hmm. And I think that that kind of goes to Sheryl Sandberg's lean-in concept. Like, I'm glad that Shiloh Walker thinks enough of her work that she wants it in this tournament. And I want to see more authors do that. Not because I want to see them, like, manipulate votes or something like that. But I want to see them confident about their book and say, I want people to know about my book. My book is really great. I agree with you. The other book that has, that has a lot of campaigning behind it is a book called A Risky Proposition. Have you heard of this? Yeah, I have heard of it. Um, but is it it's a self-pub book? Yes, it is a part one of two by Don I'm gonna say Adonisio or Adonizio. And it is self-published and it was self-published January of last year. It appears to be a um genie romance, like there's a genie and he offers you three wishes. I'm trying to figure out how how we got on her radar. Well, I'm glad. Maybe yeah. the, the word of Dubois is spreading. Yes. Yes. Pretty soon people will put it on the cover of their books. Dubois nominee. <laughs> that would be awesome. Let's talk a little bit about the actual process. We're going to have 12 hours of voting for each round. And you can vote, but your IP address will be logged. So if you vote on your computer and you try to go back and do it again... You're not going to be able to unless you happen to be able to move your computer to a McDonald's or a Starbucks or a place where you get a new IP address. Yes, you should just do a circuit of your McDonald's and Starbucks, maybe your mall, and you'll get at least four more votes. That's right. And then you can ask people and borrow their phones and just go up to random strangers and ask to use their phones so you can vote in the Dubois. And people won't mind. I think they'll think that's a completely normal thing to do. <laughs> we, did you see that the Sprinkles Cupcake Company is doing a 
uh, March Madness tournament of um, frosting and cupcakes. No, really? Yeah, so I feel like we're really on the leading edge of these tournaments, these oh, rip-off tournaments. We totally are. And I love icing. I'm totally behind a tournament of icing. It's my favorite food. Oh, I love this. That's brilliant. We should we should give people cupcakes. Oh, yeah, Would definitely. That be good? We should do bake that one of the prizes. Let's give people cupcakes. Yeah, it'll be a it will be a da Boaja prize. Yes. Let's give a couple of them away. Yeah, sure. Let's give some cupcake packs away. And you know, while we're talking about it, I can I can tell people a little bit about the prizes this year. We're going to be putting these up soon. But the nice thing about the Dubaja is that previous winners and previous prize donors always come back and are really excited about participating. So we have really cool prizes. We've, we said in the last podcast that the winning author and the winning uh, reader who wins the championship, they each get an iPad. But each round has prizes. So we have a $50 gift card and a digital copy of No Turning Back from Helen K. Diamond. And we have a huge pile of books from Penguin. Nalini Singh contacted us. She wants to donate an assigned paperback set of the Guild Hunter series, including Angel's Flight. And I don't even have that. I know, right? Totally not fair. For the final four, Julie James, who I believe was last year's winner, is going to... No, she was last year's runner-up. That's right. That's right. She was last year's runner-up. My bad. Yesterday might as well be last year. Last year might as well be 10 years ago for my brain. Uh, Julie James is contributing a Kindle Paperwhite to the winner of the final four. And J.C. Burton, for the second place finisher, is providing a Kindle Fire HD for the person who comes in second. So you don't even have to win. You can just wow. come in second. I know, right? My favorite, though, is the wooden spoon. And um, Jill Miles and Mel Jean Brooke did this last year. They give out a rest and relaxation package to the wooden spoon for the worst bracket, the bracket that is the worst of all of them, the one that's broken on day one. That person gets a $50 Lush gift card, a $50 a gift card to T Forte, signed copies of the Iron Seas series, including the print anthology, and books that are yet to be named because I don't have the titles yet. Either way, you get a big bucket of stuff if you're the worst bracket, which is really cool. Oh, and it's at, and I think the books are from Jessica Clare, which is Jill Miles's um, contemporary alter Zoom ego. These really funny, sexy contemporary romances, uh, and so this is a way if you're interested to read more about her and um, find more about her books. You have to have the worst bracket, of course. Yes, of course. But it, and that's hard to do. I mean, yeah, it's hard to. It, it, there are some books where you're like, duh, of course that's going to win. <laughs> The second chance bracket starts after the Sweet 16 are decided. You get another right. chance to try again with a smaller slate. And the second chance bracket also has prizes. The second chance second place person is going to get a Kindle Fire from debut author Jen Frederick. And the second chance bracket winner is going to get an iPad Mini from Shannon Stacy, plus all of the Kowalski books for the iPad Mini, which is a really nice gift. I mean, that's a really good prize. So even if you try the second chance bracket and you do a bracket with 16 books, you still have a chance to win a really awesome prize. And there's nothing, you know, it doesn't cost you anything to enter. I don't know if anyone realizes this. You can enter as, you know, free. You don't have to do anything. You just have to show up and then put up with us bothering you about making sure you get your votes in. <laughs> and and I also often have people email me saying, how do I vote? 
<laughs> and you gotta, if you want to win, you vote in accordance to how you picked on your bracket sheet. Yes. Some people apparently forget who they picked on their bracket sheet and will start voting for or, or and uh, and vote mongering for a book that they liked, which is and if you didn't pick that book, kind of voting and, and acting in a, against your own interests. Yeah, once you figure out your bracket, you might want to um, remember what books you pick because then you can make sure that you're vote mongering for the right book so that you win and um, you don't monger against yourself. There are people who do this every year and it's really funny. But if you want to win, you need to make sure that you're gathering votes for the books that you've picked. Now, when people pick their brackets, much like in previous years, they are not instantly uploaded. Is that correct? I'm human, unfortunately. I wish she's I was lying to you, people. She's completely lying. She's actually an alien. I know that. I know that there are people who think I'm a machine, but I'm actually not. So no, it's because she's well, an alien. Um, she's I will an try. Alien. <laughs> I will. Uh, my plan is to update the site regularly, and by regularly, I. This is how the process works. You submit your picks and they're stored in some server in the sky. And I, I go get your picks and then I download them and then I have to upload them again. So I am only going to do that maybe, maybe like oh, six times a day. So um, every four hours, although during the hours of like midnight and six, I'll, I'll probably be sleeping. So there will be no updates at that time. However... I always get up because we've never figured out how to do the stupid poll software to shut off the polls at the right time. So I always get up to close the polls. Um, and the polls will run, or the voting will run in 12-hour segments. And we did this, and we made this change a couple years ago to 12-hour segments. We used to have, like, only four-hour segments. Right. And the voting was furious. Right. But what happens is that we have authors who live in different time zones across the world, like Nalini Singh, who lives in Australia, or New Zealand. So in order to be fair to everyone, we do a 12-hour time period yep. so that we hope at some point during that 12 hours, your fan base is awake. Yes. Or that you can email them and remind them, this is when the voting will be for my book. And then you can hopefully gather either the early or the tail end. So what are the things that we need people to know about the Dubwaha first week? Don't expect that your bracket will first, show up immediately because it has to be uploaded. Right. It'll probably be a two to four hour delay. Yes. Do not but I, be alarmed. But I mean, I do try to update it pretty regularly during the bracket period so people can see that their brackets are up. But, you know, I just want to let's set expectations. <laughs> um, so number one, pick your bracket. If you have any questions, email us. You know, we are always here to help you. And so don't feel intimidated. If you've never done this before, we'll walk you through and uh, pick your bracket uh, between Sunday and Tuesday and then get ready to vote. Now, we did have some questions about what constitutes bribery. And we clarified our bribery stand. If you're an author and you want to offer a incentive to help people vote for you, because I understand how you would feel asking your readers to vote for you and vote for you and vote for you and you feel like you're asking something and you want to give something back, that's awesome. Whatever it is that you do has to be available to everyone. So you can't give one prize to one person and select them from voting. Whatever you do has to be available for everybody. So excerpts on your websites, deleted scenes, a collection of Jeremy Renner GIFs, whatever you want to do, it has to be available for everyone to enjoy. It can't be just one person or a few people getting singled out. 
That way, you can feel as if you're giving something back, which I understand, but you're also making it so that there's not a select few that win and some that don't. You want to make sure that it's something everyone can enjoy, including us, because we enjoy it too. So this letter is from Ashley, and it is about menage romance and triads, multiple partners in erotic romance. Dear Sarah and Jane, I'm a relatively new romance genre convert, and I cannot thank you enough for your amazing podcast, which makes my long commute much more bearable. I cannot tell you how excited I get to see a new podcast so I can listen to it in traffic instead of cursing the bad drivers on old country roads. For the past few weeks, I've been thinking about the trend of multiple partners in romance. Specifically, I'm talking about threesomes which, in which all three live together and view their relationship as a triad. It is not purely sexual, and they approach life as a unit. I discovered this type of romance a few months ago and immediately started reading a few of them over the holidays. I read Lauren Dane's Tart first, which was not the epitome of a good threesome book, but was enough to make me curious. I explored Jodie Redford's The Naughty List and Checking It Twice, which were better, but still left me a bit curious. The last foray into books about threesomes went back to Lauren Dane, but with her Brown Sibling series. For the first time, I found what I was looking for in Laid Bear. For the first time, multiple partners were approached as a true everyday unit, and the characters dealt with acceptance and conflict. So on to my questions. One. Are there any books about multiple partners which do not turn the characters into a collection of orifices that seem to be cool with hooking up in any public venue or party? Seriously, they go to the theater and have sex. They're in their business office and have sex. I have no problem with erotic romance, but usually multiple partner books become a series of crazy sex scenes the moment they agree to try the triad concept. Can either of you recommend something dealing with living as a threesome in today's society with issues of acceptance or actual real-life conflict with romance? Two... Do you think the rise of multiple partner erotic fiction comes from the idea of women living out their fantasies of having two or more people love them almost to the point of worship? I prefer two men and a woman or something similar, but it immediately comes about, becomes about the insecure hurting woman needing two strong men to cater to her. The closest to complete quality I've seen was in Laid Bare since all three have a relationship with each other and they all become strong characters in their own right. I've also seen the almost gay for you story where two men sort of pursue a relationship because they both want the girl and it seems a bit ridiculous. Thanks for taking the time to look at my question and possibly taking the time to answer. I'll be waiting. I'll be sitting impatiently waiting for the next podcast update and 40 minutes of fun in the confines of my car. Thanks again, Ashley. Ashley, drive safely. I, I think that if you view romance as a fantasy construct, there can't be anything more fantastical uh, in so many ways than a menage or a woman with several male partners. You hear women complain all the time about the one man in their life, not doing enough in their house, um, not picking up the socks, not doing, not putting down the toilet seat, um, loafing around and basically making her life crazy. In fact, you, you hear a lot of uh, women who worked at home or lived at home and worked out of the house or raised the family and then their husbands are now retiring and they're like why did my husband retire it's like, <laughs> my life was so much better when he was working but now he's around all the time and can you imagine if you multiply that by two or three or four or however many partners you have so i really think that the menage is all about kind of an um uh, a magnification of the idea of being taken care of kind of like the caretaker alpha scenario times a dozen so <clears throat> It's fun to read about, but truly, how many people want to live that kind of life? And, and I never watched The Sister Wives, but I did read some about it. And um, when the 
the the main guy brought in another woman into their relationship. So he, he had four wives, I think, at the time. It really changed the dynamic of the uh, family, and there were a lot of jealousies that arose. And I think that in a real life, you'd have a lot of problems with that, particularly kind of for the gay for you menages, where the men are only in it for the woman mm-hmm. versus all of them having kind of a relationship together. There, there's an interesting book that came out in 2012 by Lacey Alexander, Party of Three. It's not a committed menage, but it kind of explores the dangers of bringing a third party into your bedroom, even for a short period of time, particularly because the heroine in this case was having problems with her fiance and the man that the fiance brought into the relationship was a former boyfriend of the heroine. And so she had a lot of conflicting um, feelings uh, that were roused by the uh, new, new rude contact with her old boyfriend. Um, the, the heroine ends up back with her fiance. It's not really a spoiler to say that because it's, you know, clearly set up for those too. But I always, when I finished that book, I thought, I don't see her being totally satisfied with the person she's with. So I thought that was kind of an interesting take on the menage. Now, I just read um, Lacey or, or um, Al Kennedy's book, um, Hot for You. And I thought it was really interesting because um, I really like this series by Al Kennedy. And so I will say it up front my opinions of her might be colored by the fact that I've read the entire series. I've really enjoyed it. So I might've lost perspective at this point. Like I said on Twitter, I said, you know, I think I'm to the point with the series that if Al Kennedy dropped in an alien to werewolves, I'd be like, but this series didn't have any paranormal elements in the past, but I'll just go with it. So take, take, this is my, um, (laughs) this is my uh, disclaimer. So in any event, this book is about um, two guys who have had a relation, who have had kind of a, they have a very close friendship and a uh, a sexual relationship. But they, in this book, they say they self-identify more as bi and that they really want to have a woman in their lives. And the interesting part as it relates to the letter that was just written to us is that when they decide to have this committed relationship, it really um, ruins things for the heroine. She loses her job, her family shuns her, and the two guys are worried about how their relationships with their friends are going to change as well. So I thought that that was one book that kind of dealt with um, the real life aspects of it. There's two others I would recommend. Pillow Talk by Maya Banks, which is about a woman and three guys. And I felt like that didn't show the repercussions of them living as a unit, but it talked about the emotional impact. And, you know, she said, um, the heroine says, you know, if I'm going to commit to you guys, are you guys going to commit to me? Because I'm going to view this as a long-term thing. And are you guys going to find girlfriends at a later date? Because I'm able to give you all the attention that you think you you need or that you deserve. So I thought that that was good that she addressed that. And then there's an old Laura Lee book, and I have to look it up. So Sarah, why don't you give your thoughts while I'm looking up that book? One of the things that I find interesting about Lauren Dane's Tart, which I read a couple months ago, was that there was a little bit of the gay for you where 
one of the one of the characters in almost a sort of incidental by the way as you know rumination like he's thinking to himself is and sometimes he likes to have sex with guys like okay sure like you do and as ashley was saying the lack of conflict an issue that the character had with that side of himself really surprised me that seemed like something he would be struggling with more especially because he was in tart he's struggling with his attraction to a particular character there is almost a highly unrealistic acceptance of bisexuality in some of the triad books where it's like yeah you know much to my surprise i totally would like to have butt sex with you that's great let's go it's it's not like you're you know changing your standard dessert Order, you know, it, it, it comes with larger issues, I think. And so to be sort of cavalier about the idea of, yes, suddenly butt sex is appealing, tends to, in my opinion, diminish the characters. And I, because I like character conflict and I like character driven plots so much, that tends to make me bonkers. There's another book that I read that was a triad and I can't remember exactly which one it was and I'm going to have to look it up and I'll try really hard to identify it. I can sort of picture the cover in my head, but at one point um, the two characters are colleagues and they go in their room and with absolutely no lead in, like I was not expecting this at all. There was no comments between them that, that indicate this is what this was going to happen, that, that they had a relationship. They were like, you know, let's just suck each other off. Like, no big deal. We're going to go and we're roommates and also we have sex. And I was, I could not believe it. The whole like you do aspect of sure. Yeah. Sometimes we have homosexual sex just cause I have a really hard time accepting that as a reader. If there's not some indication that the character has at one point struggled with it or still struggles with it because I've, like I've said before, I really have a problem with characters who speak or think in, fa- in ways that I find unrealistic. There are a couple of what I believe are called triad erotic romances that I found really interesting. My favorite is the Lorelai James Rough Riders series. In the first book, which I have to look these up because I can never remember the c- titles. In the first book, Long Hard Ride, the main character, Channing, has decided that she's going to have a wild, amazing sexual adventure and follow the rodeo. And she ends up with two guys, Colby and another guy. And actually, no, there's two of them. There's Colby, Channing, and Trevor and Edgard. Trevor and Edgard have a relationship. And they also have group sex with Channing and Colby. There's a lot of whole multiple partner scenarios in this book. But Trevor and Edgar in the first book have a relationship with one another. It is Expect very- from the rodeo, right? Say what? Which is what you expect from the rodeo, right? I, yes. You know, if I go to the rodeo, I expect to stumble backstage and just see acres of butt sex. That's all I expect. Just lots of butt. Lots of butt sex. So, yeah, when they're on the rodeo, apparently they have all kinds of crazy sexual shenanigans. And in the first book, you read about Colby and Channing, but Trevor and Edgar are sort of in the background and they have a kind of troubled relationship between the two of them. Then in the fifth book, you see Trevor and Edgar again. Trevor is now married to a woman named Chassie and they have a, a good relationship, but then Edgar comes back from Brazil and Trevor finds himself 
really conflicted because he still loves and is attracted to Edgar and he loves his wife and, and is and is attracted to her too. And he has to accept things about himself. Edgar, for his part, thinks that he's just kind of a one-guy dude and he has it bad for Trevor, but he doesn't want to interfere with their marriage. Rough, Raw, and Ready is very much about the struggle that they have in accepting one another, the possible decision to be a group of three and not two, and the experience of attraction where you didn't expect to find it because Edgar and Chassie have to figure out how to deal with one another because they are both attracted to Trevor. They aren't initially attracted to each other, but then they grow to find each other terribly interesting. It's extremely erotic and it's multiple combinations and it's very emotional because all of the conflict that Ashley mentions about acceptance and accepting in society and accepting yourself and accepting this thing that you want to do that makes you happy that all these people are telling you is a really bad idea. That's all in this book. Plus you see the other characters as the series continues, they will talk about Chassie and Trevor and Edgar, and they'll talk about how the town sees their group. And ultimately I think what happens is that their give a shit becomes permanently broken. And if you don't like how they're living their lives, then, you know, fuck you. There are also now, I think 15 or 16 books in the Rough Riders series. So once you get started on that series, it's you can mainline them and you can exhaust yourself on them because they are very specific in their language. I know that Jane really doesn't like the fact that none of them use the letter G when they're talking. Um, they have a very specific language. They talk in dialect. And most of the family names begin with the letter C or K, which I find very funny. You can you can exhaust yourself reading them one after another, but if you read a couple at a time, I think that they're really enjoyable erotic romance and they, they, they have the issues that Ashley is looking for because they deal with all of the emotional problems that come with, wait, I want this thing that I didn't expect that I would want and a lot of people are telling me this is a bad idea or I have been taught that this is a really bad idea. I agree with Jane that the multiple partner erotic fish, fiction is part of the worship fantasy which is where I have problems with the male relationships in those books. I remember in Tart, there's one scene where the heroine has her period and she's miserable and she feels like crap. And she's just like, I want to be by myself. I don't want to talk to you. I'm really grumpy. Please leave. And so the two guys are like, well, we could go have sex. Okay, sure. Let's go do that. Like we could go to a movie. We could have sex. We could, you know, go to dinner. It, it's the almost the opposite of let's all have weird sex in weird places all the time. Like, oh, we don't know, we're not doing anything. Let's suck each other off. I have problems with that being a sort of compromise or, well, we can't have what we actually want. Let's just go have sex with each other. I have, I have problems with that as a second choice because I want to believe when a situation like that, that everybody is each other's first choice. And there's a lot of conflict in that. I don't love it when, okay, you're my first choice, but if I can't have you, I'll have sex with this other guy over here. That that, that doesn't do it for me as a reader. That's not my favorite thing. And it, it creates an... Oh, see, that doesn't bother me at all. No, I'll it, tell you. inequality, just the, that doesn't do it for me. How come it doesn't bother you? Because I think that everybody makes compromises in a relationship. And so, um, you know, it, not every time that you have sex is going to be an hour long, um, you know, Know, multiple oh sort of thing. Sometimes you make the choice that we're just gonna have a quickie, or uh, um, <clears throat> you know, I'm on my I'm this girl's on her period, and maybe she just like to watch the two guys fondle each other. You know, I I don't see that 
that doesn't bother me at all. In fact, <laughs> I think that's how, you know, if, if there was going to be a triad or more, I, that's how I would think that it would hope to work, that, that having more people in the relationship means fewer compromises. I mean, the, the guys aren't going without. They're certainly going to enjoy themselves. That's true. <laughs> and um, in, in Maya Banks' Pillow Talk, everybody's so busy. And uh, the guys are a volunteer or firefighters, and they are all working different shifts. And you kind of get the idea that someone would always be there with her. You know, she's not going to be alone because <clears throat> her uh, spouse or partner is off working, you know, 18-hour days. Uh, everybody's going to be with her at different times. You kind of see that through the the book as well, uh, that sometimes they're all together, but that's rare. And uh, But she's always got someone to rely on. And that's part of, I think, the nice kind of fantasy that she, one of the examples is she breaks, her car breaks down and uh, her boyfriend is working. And so her other two roommates come and get her. So <clears throat> her first choice was her boyfriend. Uh, and, uh, but the other two guys were glad to come and get her. And in the future, you know, who knows who would be her first choice, probably whomever she thought was going to be at home. Um, so, yeah, I, that doesn't bother me at all. In fact, I think that that's kind of, those types of compromises make the triad seem like it's going to last. I find that sort of imbalance of, of regard and imbalance of emotional connect, connection really bothersome because I don't want anyone in a triad to be somebody else's second choice all the time. I agree it'll shift and that there'll be different things that people are looking for. I don't read enough of the books to, to explain all of the different things that I like and don't like. But I'm with Ashley that I like the emotional conflict. For me, the emotional conflict is better when I know that everyone everyone in the group is someone's first choice, even if it's at different times, that there's never a consistent, well, if I can't have you, then fine. Your, your dick will do. Your dick is acceptable. <laughs> I just don't, I, even as you explain it, it doesn't come off that way to me. It, yes. it just seems totally reasonable and it's like, at least, you know, at least they're not going outside the relationship. They're getting everything that they need within the relationship. <laughs> it was, but you and I never agree on books, especially not erotic romance. You and I have very different tastes in erotic romance and in, uh, in uh, contemporary a lot of the time. So before we leave, or do you have something else you want to add? Oh, I had two more books. Oh, so, two more. Bring it. Right. Because I've read a lot of these. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, uh, Forbidden Pleasure by Laura Lee, um, and Laura Lee has some weird, weird writing texts, so she's not going to be for everybody, but the, um, this book really deals with, uh, the perceptions of a small town, uh, of a, a triad and whether the people in the triad can come to terms with that kind of social ostracization that would come about. <clears throat> I wrote in my review, um, the nucleus and the menage dynamics are the best part of this book. There's a lot of things that aren't very good, but that part of the book is really interesting. There's another book called um, Red Sat or uh, what is it? The Satin Sash by Red Garnier. Not everyone likes it because you kind of feel like I don't think you would like it because it's, it's and, and I have some conflicted feelings about it. But if you want to talk about conflict within a menage. This is certainly one of them. And you kind of feel like one of the characters agrees to it because he loves the heroine so much. 
I think that the author could have done a better job of showing the connection between the two male characters and how if the one male character had lost this other male character, he would have been just as devastated. And and it didn't work out that way. I mean, the text didn't work out that way. Um, but it deals with the menage dynamics, maybe not as successfully as other books, but it's a pretty emotional story. So before we wrap up, what are you reading? What have you read recently that you liked? Boy, what can I share? When Jane's not reading books from 2016, sometimes she reads books that are available in 2015. I'm just teasing. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I read uh, Club Ties and Club Justice by Mara, Mara McBain. It, Club Justice was the better book of the two. Um, and it's about a committed, already committed couple who've been married for 20 some years. So that was interesting in and of itself. I, it's a compelling story, but it's really flawed. I have a hard time recommending it. Um, there are a lot of dark moments in the book and then the author just kind of jumps over them without any real, um, uh, she doesn't really address kind of the emotional repercussions of all the really negative things that happened during the book, but it, it's, it's a strong story. Uh, I just, eh, I tried to read J.M. Madden's book, Embattled Hearts. I was totally bored by it. I thought the writing was really... I just could not get into it. Oh, I did read two books that I really enjoyed. There were actually one book that I really enjoyed. I read the sequel of uh, Heart of Iron by Beth McMasters. Really liked her Heart of Steel, which was a steampunk um, book released last year. And then Heart of Iron is the second book. The The second book was just not as successful for me. I felt like kind of the world building wasn't strong enough. And I was ultimately disappointed. I'm still going to read the third book because I'm still intrigued. But I was disappointed. Um, in the second book, I felt weirdly that the second book was almost more of a setup book than the first one. And I wanted more kind of, um, I wanted her to carry on the story that she had started in the book one. And instead she kind of went in a direction and obviously that's author choice, but it just didn't kind of fit with my expectations. So I was disappointed. So the book that I read that I really enjoyed was own the wind by Kristen Ashley. And this is the first book that she has written in conjunction with, um, Grand Central and Amy Pierpont, and I don't know who else is her editor over there. Um, all of the previous books that Ashley has written have been self-published. And I th and I was really apprehensive about the story because it's about um, Shy and Tabby, and, and Tabby is the daughter of Tack, who's the hero in Motorcycle Man. And at the end of Motorcycle Man, I think she's like 19. And I'm like, I'm not ready to read. Even though I love new adult books, I just wasn't ready to read a Christian Ashley new adult book. So I was kind of apprehensive when I started it. But she ages the characters quite a bit. And I think um, in the story, I was trying to do the math for one of my Goodreads commenters. I, uh, Shy is 27. And I think that um, Tab is 23 at the time that they finally get together. And all of the things that happened to them, particularly Tabby, prior to the start of their romance, really kinds of ages both of them. And so that I was felt emotionally and mentally ready for her to have a relationship with, um, with Shy. And it's not new adult. It's definitely not in that category of new adult. It is definitely a Christian Ashley romance. I felt like uh, Ashley did a lot of really, really great things in the story. And I think that 
existing Ashley fans are going to be thrilled with where she goes. One of the things I thought that Ashley did really well in this story was she takes two previous characters, which are Tab's father, Tack, and her new stepmother, um, Tyra. And Tyra and um, Tack act kind of like assholes in this book. But it doesn't take away from your love for them that you had developed in Motorcycle Man because they act like assholes out of their love for Tab. And you can totally see that their actions are driven by their care and concern, but they're not what she deserves at the time. And so I thought that was really interesting how she took former characters who are of their own book and kind of makes them not look bad, but they, they're not heroic actions. Do you know what I mean? So anyway, I thought that was really interesting. Obviously, the romance is really strong. It's everything that you would expect in a Christian Ashley book. But I also thought that she did a great job of setting up a lot of future books in that world in a way that wasn't intrusive. So um, Ashley just did a couple of things that surprised me. I really enjoyed the book. And I think that anyone who's a Christian Ashley fan is going to enjoy the story. The book on Goodreads has a lot of really strong reviews. Like people who have read it seem to be really, really liking it. It's a strong book. I mean, I, I was apprehensive. And Angie James and I, I uh, talked about how, hey, we weren't really sure if we wanted to read Tab and Chai. Of course, we were going to read it, but we weren't super excited about it. We were more interested in reading about Laney and Hop, which is the next Chaos book. Mm-hmm. I, um, Ashley tends to write older characters, more mature characters, and that's kind of what's interesting about her mm-hmm. stories. So I guess I was apprehensive about it. Um, but it was really strong, and I totally came off loving the story and, and, and super intrigued and uh, about all that she has in, in, front, of, uh, in front of us as readers. I, I mean, I, I felt like I was really worried when she went to New York that maybe would edit out her voice or, um, you know, that it just wouldn't live up to her, you know, the past stories that she's written. But I just, I was really pleased. I, I think it's really a, a continuation uh, of her book. And I think that the the collaboration between her and Warner, or excuse me, not Warner Hachette, is great right now. I'm really excited. That's awesome. I have been reading a lot of books this week because I've been very tired. So, of course, what I do, I stay up late and read because that makes sense, right? No. Um, first, I read Mary Balog, Bailo, 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 rhymes with Kellogg, Mary Belog, even though I want to say Bailo, Belog. Um, her book, Irresistible, which is $1.99, and I so enjoyed it. It was exactly what my brain needed. I forgot how much I love um, quiet character conflict historical romances that aren't sort of fluffy for the sake of fluffy and silly for the sake of being amusing that are actually emotional, but not all dark angst and misery at the same time. That that balance between character and not too much angst makes me very happy. So that made me, of course, want to read nothing but Mary Balog for the rest of the month, which I can't do. So I read a, a Harlequin. I read Jennifer Lohman's second book, The First Move, and I didn't expect to read it all yesterday, but then I ended up staying up very, very late to finish it. This is much more angsty than I normally read, but I kind of think you might like it. The heroine is the sister of the heroine from the first book, um, and her name is uh, Renia. She has a, a really big secret, and... Back in high school, she was really rebellious. She was really wild, and she went to a lot of parties and drank and do drugs. And 
all of this happened after her father, brother, and grandfather were killed in a car accident, and it sort of just broke the family into pieces. And her response was to act out and act out and, and really do some damage to herself. And many years later, she, she left town. Many years later, she's back, and she's a wedding photographer. And the, the hero, Miles, is attending the wedding of his ex-wife. And they have a pretty cordial relationship, although you learn how that came to be. He sees Renia and he remembers her from high school because she, she was somebody that he really, really, really liked and really wanted to be cool enough for, but it wasn't going to happen. She was, she, he was not going to be cool enough for her in high school, and that was not going to work. Now that it's so many years later, he really wants to try again. And, and in the meantime, Renia has really built a huge huge barrier around herself. She does not have close relationships with many people at all. She doesn't date. And in a previous book, the, the heroine, her sister says that, you know, she only dates guys that she can tell what to do. She doesn't date guys that she actually has any respect for. She, she dates guys that she can be in control of the relationship. And Miles isn't like that. The cover copy doesn't really reveal the issues that are being dealt with. And I feel like I'm spoiling it. This is really hard. I feel like I'm spoiling it if I talk about the specific issues that aren't alluded to in the cover copy. But on the other hand, the cover copy uses so many goddamn exclamation points. You think that their conflict is going to be based on something like where they're going to eat dinner and, you know, let's take salsa lessons. And no, that, that many exclamation points belies the amount of angst that's in this book. So I feel like I should talk about the issues honestly. However, this might constitute a spoiler. So if I spoil the shit out of it, I'm sorry. The reason Renia left town when she was in high school is that she got pregnant at 16. And her mother could not handle her behavior and could not handle the pregnancy and sent her to live with her sister, the mother's sister, in another town. I think it's in Chicago or another part of Chicago. Maybe it was no, Cincinnati. She, she goes sent from Chicago to Cincinnati. And she lives with her aunt. She has the baby. She gives it up for adoption. And she signs over all rights. She has no – there's no open adoption. And it was – I think it was before that became really common. So the the adopted daughter can find her, but she cannot – has no way of contacting her, the adopted family or her daughter. She's and, – and when her aunt tried to write that in, um, she threw an absolute fit and refused to do it. She wanted no contact. She just wanted to end that part of her life. Meanwhile, 18 years later, every year, the, the birthday of her daughter tortures her, and she's really never grieved. She's never processed what happened. She's never worked on it. She's never really thought about it. She just thought, all right, I'm just going to close the door on that, and that'll be fine, and I'll be all right. And, of course, it doesn't work that way. Miles also has similar issues. He's divorced. He got married right out of high school because the first time he had sex with a girl, she got pregnant and he gave up his scholarship to, to Carnegie Mellon, joined the army, married her and had a daughter and then they end up divorced. But he's got an 18 year old daughter and he has similar issues about parenting and about being ready to be a parent. And because he made a very different choice, he has a very different perspective. Plus, Renia has issues with her mom who sent her away while she was pregnant, and her relationship really hasn't recovered with her mom. There's a huge area that they just don't talk about, and it comes up once a year. In the beginning of the book, Renia locks herself in her home. She blocks everyone's phone number. She won't answer the door. She turns off all of the incoming numbers that she can think of. She blocks them, has her office number forwarded to her cell phone, and she's basically waiting to see if this year, because her daughter is 18, if this year her daughter's going to call her. 
and instead of just taking the one day, she takes three. And this, of course, freaks her family out. They're worse. They're, they're used to her dropping out on that one day, but this is three days, and that's just not okay. So her friend Amy comes over and uses the lobby phone, which, of course, she hasn't blocked. So she gets through, comes upstairs, and basically, gives, like, shakes her, not literally, but, like, emotionally. Look, you can't do this. this. You can't do this to people. Everyone's really worried about you. Come on now. What's going on? And she's never even told her best friend about this. When she and Miles are together in her photography studio, her daughter calls while he's there. And so she has to tell him this thing that she hasn't told anybody. So the whole book is very much about secrets and about healing from something that you did when you were a teenager now that you're an adult and old enough to process it. And it's about parenting and forgiveness and what what adoption means and what relinquishing means and what it means to have a child that you don't raise and why that can be a really brave parenting decision to decide not to be a parent. There were a couple of flaws I had with the book. I thought that the heroine's progress through the book was much stronger than the heroes. I, I believed the changes that she had made. I didn't necessarily believe as much in the changes that he said he made because he has the annoying habit of making the same mistake over and over again and saying he's sorry, but not actually learning. That said, it was so powerful, so well done. And I wanted to stop reading and I ended up reading till 1230 in the morning and couldn't stop. I mean, my eyes are stinging and I had to find out what happened. It's weird to talk about someone I know personally because I've been to Jennifer Lohman's library in North Carolina and I nominated her for librarian of the year for RWA, which she won. And I know her personally. And so it's really weird for me to say, oh my gosh, she's a really good writer. But Unfortunately, if you know me and you're my actual friend, I am the asshole where if you ask me what you what I think of your writing, I'm going to tell you and I'm going to be honest because you're writing and you are separate things. And on the receiving end, I know that's not true, but yes, I'm an asshole. Jennifer is a really good writer. And if I didn't like her writing, I would say that as well. But wow, this book blew me away. It was so like it sort of grabs your insides and squishes them all up and then twists them around and then lets them go so you feel better. It's Whoa, did it just knock me over. And now I need more Mary Balog or Belog or however the hell you say her name to um, indulge myself because I'm going contemporary historical, contemporary historical. I'm still trying to process writing my review for this book. I think it comes out on April 1st. Wow. Wow. Am I glad I read it. And my dogs are really glad I read it too. Thanks, guys. That was great. So that's all for this week's podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. The music you're listening to was provided by Sassy Outwater. You can follow her on Twitter at Sassy Outwater. This is a song by Three Miles Stone, and it's called Snug in the Blanket. You can find out more about them on their website or at iTunes, and we'll link to both from the website. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you did and you have something you'd like to say about it, or if you didn't and you want to disagree with us, you can always email us at sbjpodcast at gmail.com. That's S for Sarah, B for bitches, J for Jane, at podcast, which you know how to spell. You can also call and leave us a message at our Google Voice number, which is 1-201-371-DBSA. Don't forget to give us a name where you're calling from so we can include your message into an upcoming podcast. And please remember that is a U.S. number. Wherever you are and whatever you're doing, Jane and I wish you the very best of reading. <laughs>